There is a concept found in the Gemara, which is called Inyan le Inyan le Inyan, which means that the Gemara says that you can go from one topic to another topic as long as it's somewhat related to the first topic. Inyan, one Inyan to another Inyan, may Oisa Inyan, but it has to be somewhat related. And so we're going to try to uh, do that tonight. We're going to start with one Inyan, and we're going to see if we can segue that into another Inyan, but there will be a connection. And so I state that on the onset, that, or the outset rather, that that is what we're going to be doing. Although the name of the class is Parsha and Pizza, nevertheless, from time to time, we will talk about what's known as Inyana de Yoyma, which means matters of the day, which means before a Yom Tif, it's appropriate to speak about the Yom Tif and so on. And so there's actually a two reasons, a positive and a negative reason why uh, instead of talking about Parsha Devarim, which is the Parsha of the week, nevertheless, we also have Tisha B'Av coming up very soon. In five days will be Tisha B'Av. And therefore, Devarim is a difficult Parsha to speak about. And uh, we have on Tisha B'Av also a difficult subject, but we have Megillas Eicha. And Megillas Eicha is, generally speaking, a sad lamentation. <sighs> Nevertheless, I hope that we'll see tonight that the, it, within the text and in the eyes of our sages, we can see some very interesting things. Some things which probably you never would have associated with Megillus Eicha and indeed with Tisha B'Av. Megillus Eicha is, has a structure to it that is not found anywhere else in any other Megillah or any, actually in any of the other books of Tanakh. Megillah Seicha has five chapters. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 each have 22 psukim. There are 22 letters in the alphabet, the Aleph base. So Pasuk Aleph starts with an Aleph. Eicha starts with an Aleph. The next Pasuk starts with a base, all the way through till Tuf. The same way, the second chapter, the same way. The third chapter has 66 psukim, three times 22, which means that the first three psukim of chapter 3 have three psukim all starting with an aleph, and then pasuk 4, 5, and 6 will all start with a base, and all the way through till 66. Chapter 4 again has 22 psukim, all aleph, base, gimel, and the last, the, 20, the fifth peric of Echa has also 22 psukim, but no order whatsoever. It's just a different psukim starting with different letters. So right away you see that there's something to do with the number 22, and the significance of the 22 is the fact that Hashem created the world with the 22 osios, the 22 Hebrew letters. <clears throat> and therefore, there is a uh, significance to the Echa, meaning that Hashem created the world, and he created the Torah <coughs> all with the same idea of using the olive base. In fact, there are those who want to go so far as to say that the reason why the month of Av is called Av is because Av is olive base. 
and therefore there's a special significance to the fact that the Echa, which is supposed to give us our Nechama, the, the, the last Pesukim, which talk about the comfort and the consolation, that follows the Av, the Aleph base, all the Tzoros that are listed in Echa, and then we hope that it will be a Menachem of, it will be a month of comfort, of the consolation. So, most of the Pesukim the Echa are talking about the Chorban, talking about the sadness. The Hichagura Sak, oh, it's like a, a, a woman who's, uh, who is mourning the fact that her husband died at a young age and, and so on. So it's very sad. Nevertheless, if you take a look, and I'll, this I'll give you a secret, if you're looking to speak on Megillus Echa, the best place to look is in the third parak. First of all, there are 66 psukim, so your chances of finding something that you want are better. But also, there, there are a number of psukim in chapter Gimel, chapter 3, where there are some lighter moments, some lighter psukim, and so on. <clears throat> the psukim that I would like to choose is indeed from Echa, and is indeed from the third parak, and it's the middle pasuk that starts with the letter Vav. So according to this cheshbon, according to this accounting, every letter has three psukim. So that would mean that uh, the letter Vav, which is the sixth letter, would correspond to psukim 16, 17, and 18. So the middle one is pasuk 17. So we're going to learn one Pusik tonight. It only has five words in it. And I think we'll see that it's going to yield some very interesting thoughts. Okay. The five words of Pusik Yud Zayin in Paragimel, which Pusik starts with a Vav, is Vatiznach mi Shalom Nafshi, which means my soul, Nafshi, my soul, despaired. Gave up hope. Tiznach, zonach means to just give up hope. L'sholom, for peace. My soul gave up hope of ever attaining peace. The next two words, the last two words of the Pesach are, nor shisi tova. I have forgotten what good is. So at first glance, these psukim are very sad, very depressing. <coughs> I gave up hope of ever reaching peace, and I have forgotten what like the good days were. No shisi tova, I have forgotten what good is. Um, it's just interesting, I've done this before, where we have a new word, and it's interesting to see how some of the different English translations just translate a word that may be new to us, fatiznach. So some say rejected, some say despaired of, are far removed from, despise, Hirsch says to forsake, to abandon all ideas of just not being in touch with the idea of shalom, of peace the art scroll in its introduction says that the Novi Yirmiya, who wrote Eicha is recalling what was lost as a result of the destruction of the Pesach Mikdash and he is lamenting by saying, Vatiznach, 
I gave up hope of peace. I forgot what good is. So listen to what the Gemara in Shabbos says. <clears throat> On these words, Vatiznach misholam nafshi. I despaired, my soul despaired of ever having peace. So the Gemara says, you know what this is a reference to? Hadlokos neiros for Shabbos. Lighting the candles for Shabbos. What does that mean? We know that lighting candles for Shabbos is a segula. It's supposed to bring about sholom bias, peace in the house. If it's dark in the house, people are stumbling. They can't eat, see what they're eating. It's, uh, it's just not a pleasant situation. But by lighting candles, <coughs> one brings sholom bias, sholom into the home. So according to this interpretation, the Novi Yirmiya was saying, we were so poor as a result of the destruction of the base of Migdash, we were sort of exiled from our, our, our present state of affairs that we couldn't even afford oil and wicks, which is the way they would light the Shabbos candles then, for Shabbos. So Shalom is represented by Neros Shabbos, and Vatiznach, Shalom Nafsh means my soul just despaired, gave up hope of ever having, of ever being able to light the Shabbos candles again. Shedding a whole new light on, on what the Pasig is referring to. That's those three words. And that is only one opinion, that it's a reference to Neros Shabbos. Okay. Then on the next two words, Noshisi Tova, I have forgotten what good is. So the Gemara there has four different interpretations as to what does it mean. Four different rabbis, each one gives his interpretation of what is the goodness specifically about Shabbos, that the, the, the Novi Yirmiya is saying, no, she say, I've forgotten what good is. Our lives are in such a state of turmoil that that which was previously good, I've forgotten what good is. And listen to what the four opinions in the Gemara are. The first one is Zu Beis HaMerchatz Going to the bathhouse In those days they didn't have their own baths and showers in their home but when it came time to get ready, whether it's for Shabbos or whatever their personal hygiene was, they would go to the public bathhouses Beis HaMerchatz and that was the established way to keep oneself clean So the idea of going to the Beis HaMerchatz and we're talking specifically about Shabbos now somehow we'll see a little later as to how do we know that the Pasuk and Eicha is a reference to Shabbos we'll see but nevertheless that's what the Novi Yirmiya was lamenting that Noshisi Tova I've forgotten what good is presumably either the base, they closed down the Beis HaMerchatz or it wasn't available or people didn't care about it whatever the case may be According to the first of the four interpretations, I haven't forgotten tova, forgotten good means, that we didn't go to the bathhouse anymore before Shabbos. <clears throat> Number two. He says, you don't have to go to the base of Merchatz. Yes, that's preferable. But let's say one, it's not available. So there still is, and this is the halacha today too. We'll discuss perhaps halacha nowadays in a moment. But according to this Gemara, 
The second opinion is, even if you don't go to the bathhouse before Shabbos, but, and, and that would be today too, if for some reason there's no time, you can't get to it, there's no hot water, <coughs> whatever situation exists, nevertheless, there still is an Indian to wash one's face, one's hands, one's feet. In those days they went barefoot, so to wash one's feet as well. And in general, just to sort of, uh, what we used to call years ago, a lick and a promise. Yeah, a little bit and you'll do later. That was what it was called. But at least the minimum, at least the covered Shabbos. So Yermi is saying, we, we forgot that. We, we forgot what good is, meaning we were not even in his heart, we weren't careful about the minimal washing up for Shabbos. <clears throat> the third opinion is, the goodness of Shabbos is, he says, mitono, to have a nice bed, the kalim noim she'oleho, and nice bed clothes, nice quilts, nice coverings, nice linens, whatever, that is on top of it. So according to the third opinion, the covet of Shabbos, the tova of Shabbos, is represented by having a nice bed. The bed presumably made and so on. That is the third opinion. And the fourth opinion, which is the most surprising of all, to someone who's not used to this concept, it says two things. Number one, it doesn't say a nice bed, but it does say mita mutsa'as. Mutsa'as just means spread out, which means that the covers are straightened out, or we, we call it a, the bed is made, so to speak, as opposed to just a jumble of uh, sheets and pillows and, and covers and everything. The beds are made, okay? And the second thing is, for a Talmud Chacham, that his wife should be nicely dressed. That's what it says. Isha mekushetes letalmud chacham. That's the Gemara says. So this is the fourth idea of Yirmiya saying, I forgot what good was. Goodness for Shabbos is represented by any of, or perhaps any or all of these things that are mentioned. So those two words, Noshisi Tova, I forgot what good meant, meant that I was missing in my life. And this Yirmiya Hanavi is saying this, we, Klal Yisra, were missing in our lives these four things, which are the proper uh, shall we say observance or adherence to covet Shabbos? Yes. Question: if they, if they didn't even have the money for oil and wicks to, to observe Shabbos, to light you know the light the, not the candles but right. lamps, how could they be thinking about what sort of seemed like luxuries compared to not even being able to to have oil and wick? Okay. The only thing is that oils, oil and wick are used up every week. So the fact that you had it last week means you've got to go out and get it again today. If you have nice furniture in the house, so then even after the Horbin, presumably the furniture is still there. How you define mitona, uh, everybody's going to define that differently. Uh, somebody who was brought up sleeping on the floor in, in abject poverty, so that just to have something on the floor is, is a luxury and so on. Somebody who's led a pampered, sheltered life where, 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 where their whole lives they had, they had the luxurious bedding and so on, so anything less than that is, is, is a discomfort. So that's always going to be subjective. But the point being that um, in Yirmiyahu's eyes, according to the way the Gemara is interpreting it, lacking these, I would call them even basics, for Shabbos is considered Noshisi Tova, I have forgotten what good is. 
So <clears throat> we have limited time, but I thought that it might be just worthwhile to just to mention some things about the things that are um, mentioned in the Gemara and see if they don't have some <laughs> relevance for nowadays as well. And if, like always, if there's questions, we'll try to uh, do the best to answer them and so on. As far as the inyanim of Hadlokos Neris, which was the first thing that we said <coughs> in the first three words, Vatiznach Misholom Navshi, my soul despaired of ever having peace, which we say is a representation is represented by Hadlokos Neros. So <coughs> there are a number of just points that I wanted to bring out and so on. It seems to be more or less universal that in a home where there is a woman, the woman, that's her mitzvah, right, of Hadlokas Neros. But in a home where there's just a man, a man likes the, bracha, likes the Neros and he makes a bracha as well. So the idea of having Neros in the house, even though the concept of Sholem bias may not exist in that particular house, there's only one person, there's not a question of being at peace with somebody else. Nevertheless, the idea of identifying Hadlokas Neros with the idea of Shabbos is certainly a, uh, a very good thing. I may have mentioned this one time before in a class. I had just seen in the Sefer that day or that week uh, something that just is just as an aside, but something that was very surprising to me. <clears throat> it's well known that in, uh, in shall we say, in English-speaking communities or uh, Yiddish-speaking communities, so the, the greeting that's generally given on Shabbos is good Shabbos. So if it's in Yiddish, it's really good Shabbos. It's like from the German or from the Yiddish, it's good. Or in English, it's good. And most people say it without thinking, good Shabbos. And you couldn't really, were you speaking English? You were speaking Yiddish. It's the same, good Shabbos, good Shabbos. The people who either are Hebrew-speaking people or people who want to identify with Hebrew-speaking people will say Shabbat Shalom and so on. I saw just recently, and I saw that, I didn't mark it down, and I could quote who had said it. But this was somebody from the Hasidic Yiddish world who writes in his Sefer, and he says that he personally feels that it's better to greet people with Shabbat Shalom. He says, why? He says, because if you say good Shabbos, so okay, you're wishing that they have a good Shabbos, which means a peaceful Shabbos, and the Shabbos gives you inspiration and good meals and, and good sleep and all the good things that come with Shabbos. If you say Shabbat Shalom, so two things you're doing. Number one, Shalom is one of Hashem's name. By Yikroshimo, Hashem Shalom, it's a posset. So Shalom is one of Hashem's names, and you're not allowed to say Shalom Aleichem in the bathroom. You meet somebody in you know, a public bathroom, you can't say Shalom Aleichem. You're saying God's name in the bathroom. You're not allowed to do that. Shalom is one of Hashem's name. But he says also, the fact that you're wishing the person Shabbat Shalom, that Shabbos should bring you peace, he says, <coughs> that's one of the very essences of Shabbos is to bring this peace, the fact that you light candles in order to promote shalom and so on. So it's very interesting that here a Hasidic Yiddish-speaking Rebbe is saying that in his view, it's better to say Shabbat Shalom. I thought that was interesting. Nevertheless, so if Shabbos, the concept is to promote peace, so then when we don't say, well, this house, we have to promote peace, but here it doesn't exist, or maybe they're beyond peace. No, we don't say that. We don't say that. The idea of lighting the candles is because of to promote shalom bias, and that a, applies to everybody equally, and so on. <clears throat> the Gemara says that what is the schar for lighting 
being Zohir in lighting Neiros. It says both Shabbos candles and Havdola as well. So it says that a person will be Zoycha, that his children will be, their children will be Talmidei Chacham. To many people, that's the greatest wish that you could have. Others are, no, they should be successful, they should be a mensch. Everybody has their own prayer for their children. What's the first thing they want them to be? But in many people, that their child be a Talmud Chacham, to be a Torah scholar, is the thing that they really would want more than anything else. So therefore, one way to achieve that is to make sure to adhere to this mitzvah and lighting the Shabbos candles. I mean, this is something that I'm quite sure everybody does, but we always need a chizuk. We need sometimes just encouragement to make sure that it's done. And of course, it must be always said, whenever you're promoting hadlokas neros, you have to be very careful that it's not counterproductive. And that means you're supposed to light the candles to usher in the Shabbos. But in the wintertime, when Shabbos begins at 4.20 or a quarter to 5, and somebody first comes home from work at 5 o'clock, obviously they should not be lighting the Shabbos candles. They are being mechal of Shabbos. So one has to be very careful of that, and so on. And then just lastly on the topic, and that is, it's well known that in the Chabad communities, they did, at one time, it was a very big campaign to have children, even small girls, light the candles with a bracha and so on. Uh, that's their minog, and anybody who that is their minog should follow their minog. If it's not their minog, then they should ask a shayla, should they do it anyway? But nevertheless, um, there certainly is an idea of chinuch involved, and uh, I'm sure there are many, many girls who grew up to be Shomeret Shabbos because when they were a little girl, they lit candles. So uh, everybody should do what their minog is. So that's on the topic of Adlokas Neris. If there's a question, I'll take it. If not, we'll go on. Anybody? No. Okay. <clears throat> of the four interpretations of the, of the words Norshi Sitova, I have forgotten what good is. So the first of the four interpretations was Zubes HaMerchatz. That is the bathing, going to the bathhouse, or in our case would be a bath, a shower, whatever is necessary to be properly clean for Shabbos and so on. <clears throat> there is a minhag among men to also go to the mikveh on Erev Shabbos. Some people have a minute, actually every morning they go, and some only go before a Yom Tov, and so on. But there is a sizable segment of Klal Yisrael, a sizable percentage of people who are careful to go every Erev Shabbos. So that is included. That has nothing to do with personal hygiene. Sometimes the mikvahs are not the most uh, hygienic. Okay, So it's two separate things. It is brought down that if one goes to the mikvah, they should not then take a shower. They should wait a half an hour before they clean themselves and so on. Nevertheless, without getting into that, um, <coughs> the, there is a minhag, and that certainly would be included in what we call hachonos, the preparations for Shabbos. And somebody who has such a minhag certainly should do it. And if somebody is interested in knowing, somebody's never done that before, but is interested in knowing more about it and what are the, what's the significance and the Kabbalistic and implications and so on, should seek guidance from somebody who's knowledgeable about that subject. But we're just going to mention it. Yes? Is there any difference during nine days of Well, the answer is yes. There is a difference. Okay. Um, the prohibition against bathing during the nine days, and certainly on Tisha B'Av itself, but we're talking about, we're talking about the nine days, is called Rechitsa Shotanuk. Any rechitz, any bathing that's done for the purpose of enjoyment. 
And yes, a nice luxurious bath or a, a real luxurious shower uh, can be a big, can be a pleasure, can be very pleasurable. That is what is prohibited prohibited on, on during the nine days. As far as just to rinse off perspiration, a quick a quick uh, in and out, and so on. So that is generally permitted. Again, different postgim, different opinions that you'll find about is that only cold water? Can you use hot water? Can you use soap? Not use soap? And so on. The, how long should you just in and out? Or once you're there already, do a little better job? And so on. Obviously, it's going to depend on each person's level of perspiration, clearly. But also, you're going to find a variety of postgim. So everybody should follow thereof as to what exactly is permitted. Um, <coughs> Rabbi Shimon Eider, Zechariah Levracha, even writes in his pamphlet that is, he says that even to take a quick dip into a swimming pool in the nine days is permitted. Generally, people don't go into a swimming pool during the nine days unless it's medically uh, uh, necessary, but otherwise it will not. But that's a big chidush, but he's, he was a, a good man. Shalom, I know him well. And uh, he writes that even a quick dip into a swimming pool is permitted. Nevertheless, so that's as far as the nine days. But the people who have a minog of going, uh, oh, by the way, the exception, of course, is for covered Shabbos. So, for instance, this, uh, tonight's Wednesday night and Friday afternoon, the people who bathe presumably every Shabbos are allowed to do it this Friday as well, <coughs> perhaps less luxurious than they would just uh, any other time. But in order to do a good job, because we're saying it's an Indian, there's, there's something to it, this idea of <coughs> preparing for the Shabbos properly. And therefore, one is allowed to take a shower or a bath a little longer than perhaps would other times during the nine days. But somebody who has to go to the mikveh goes to the mikveh, and that's true of men and women both. And as far as the people, if they have a minute to go to mikveh every morning, I really don't know. I don't go to the mikveh every morning, so I don't know. My, my impression is that they do go. Because again, it's not rechitzah shantanuk. Perhaps there are those who don't go. I hope that answers as far as that. Okay. <clears throat> so the idea of, of going to a base hamerachot, or nowadays the equivalent is making sure to take a shower, yes. I think you'll all agree that Erev Shabbos can be a very difficult time. Somehow the Sahara gets gets it, the Sutton gets us all busy then. It sometimes is a stressful time in the house. Tensions between husband and wife can sometimes be exacerbated, sometimes between children, trying to get a lot of things done. And it's like somebody said that this generation is surpasses the previous generations and their observance of Shabbos. We're stricter today than we were a generation ago. But the same person pointed out, nowadays we're less strict about Arab Shabbos than people used to be. Years ago, you knew that when Friday came, so you put aside all your other things and you got ready for Shabbos in enough time and you set the table and the kids were all bathed and you're ready to go to shul and Arab Shabbos had more of a uh, Shabbos flavor than it does today. I remember, they don't live on my block anymore, but there was a family lived on my block, a religious family, Shemir Shabbos and so on. And uh, in the summertime, I would be, so there's an early minion and a later minion. I'd be going to shul for the early minion. So that's about an hour before Nacht. And the kids were outside playing, climbing in the mud. I, there was no sign whatsoever that it's Friday afternoon, Shabbos is coming. And I've been in other homes where that also could be said. 
uh, people wait for the last minute. Now it's true, some people are just last minute people. And some people, uh, I don't want to mention any names, Wednesday they're ready to table set for Shabbos, okay? So that's, uh, that's perhaps another extreme, okay. But uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, the idea that Friday should be a day that Shabbos is coming and, and an awareness of it. It's not just to say in the morning, Hayyim Yom Shabbos, to say that today's Friday morning. There should be an awareness of that and so on. So therefore, when the afternoon comes, <coughs> everybody's peaceful, everybody's ready to come to shul for Shabbos, and if you come a couple of minutes early for Shabbos, so if you say Shir Hashir, and this I can tell you, it changes your whole Shabbos. If you come half hour early, and you say the Shir Hashirim, and you know what you're saying, it's just, it's a love song between you and God, and it just puts a whole different light on the whole Shabbos. So what would be wrong if you came to shul a little earlier, and so on? So the point being that we need to strengthen our adherence to error of Shabbos more than Shabbos itself. That Shabbos Baruch Hashem, we're pretty, pretty good about. Yes? I was curious to know why that half-hour difference between a man going to mikveh and showering. Why, why is there a half-hour Okay, so that people won't be mistakenly think that in order to attain the tahara that a person is looking for, it's a two-pronged attack. You go to the mikveh and then you take the shower. So if one follows the other, it can mislead people into thinking that you need both, where it's two separate things. A mikveh has certain requirements and certain Kabbalistic and halachic ramifications, <coughs> having nothing to do with personal hygiene, as we said. So that's why the, the recommended time is in a half hour. I don't, I don't believe it's a halachic uh, half hour requirement, whatever, like... Some people wait a half hour between having mulchiks and then having fleshik. Some people wait an hour. So that a half hour is, is a time. But it's the idea being that it, you make it separate, that it shouldn't be one leading into the other. And so, on. so that is as far as the Zubais Hamerchats. Now, the second one who says just Rechitzes Yadayim Veraglayim Bechamin, just if you can't go to the mikveh or can't, uh, there's no Beis Hamerchats, so there's no shower available for whatever, or even time constraint, you're really running last minute circumstance beyond your control. There's no time to first now take a bath, take a shower, but just a quick wash, one, two, three, but at least to do that. So uh, again, it's more a question of attitude or in some cases planning. In other words, if you everything's last minute, so it's not, nothing's going to be done right. Whereas if you, if you plan accordingly, of course, sometimes the circumstances beyond your control. But in the normal course of events, if a person knows that if, if Shabbos begins, let's say now, Many shuls, they daven at 7 o'clock. So that's a set time. So you, you put you, a self-imposed deadline. I must be out of the shower by 5 o'clock. To some of them, that sounds strange. What do you mean, 5 o'clock, I'm just getting started? No. But again, and some of the people are coming from work, and I understand all that. But the, 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 it's a question of an attitude, a question of pre-planning. And you will see that the Shabbos will be different. If it's all last minute, it just... Then you, you, you're playing catch-up the whole Shabbos, as opposed to being well-prepared. And then when Shabbos comes, it's a different experience. So this is really the idea. And this is all included, according to the Gemara, in these just two words that Yermiah said, no, she sitova, I forgot what good was. Some of us maybe have forgotten what a good Arab Shabbos is. And according to these interpretations, that's exactly what it means. Okay. Um, the third one about the Mita Noah having a nice bed, having a nice kalim on it, and so on. And then the fourth one, which mentions the, med, the made bed. Okay. This is 
a question of chinuch, more I believe than anything else. If I think that if a person was brought up in a home where the beds are not made, people just don't make the beds. And that's probably okay, because you shut the door to the bedroom and nobody sees it, it's nobody's business. And my mother used to say, the way you leave the bed, that's how it's going to be when you go into it. If the bed is made, so you're going to go to a nice bed. If not, then everything, the covers are all disarrayed, the pillow, everything is all over the place. Okay. So that's a question, I believe, of, of chinuch. Chinuch belongs in the home, but any of you, both men and women, who may have experienced a dormitory living, where, again, you're not at home, and you're presumably a, a teenager or a young college student or that age, whatever. So <clears throat> in some places, there is supervision about that. They're, they, they inspect the rooms. They expect you to leave your room neat. Other places, you're on your own. You even have a lock on the door, and it's nobody's business. Again, what goes on beyond that closed door? But I can just tell you an experience that I had um, in the yeshiva. I went to yeshiva in Cleveland for high school. It tells a yeshiva. And <clears throat> they were very, very insistent that everybody must make their bed. And when we were in high school, when we started out, so they would inspect every day. And if you didn't make your bed, you got a knas. I don't remember if it was five cents or 10 cents. This is 1957, so it's a while back. Today, maybe it would be a dollar or two. I don't know that if you didn't make your bed, you had, you had to pay for it and so on. Okay. And then, so that was the system in the yeshiva there. So everybody made their bed. I mean, it was not. When you got into the post-high school, so now, presumably, we're talking about young Talmidei Chachamim, men in their uh, early 20s and so on. So then, it was not a question of they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't inspect, or at least not on a regular basis, and they certainly didn't fine you. I mean, you're expected to be a, a young adult at that time, or a young man, and so on. So I'll remember this. This has actually happened. This actually happened. <coughs> The Rosh Yeshiva of Motel Katz. So he got up once in Yeshiva and when he's talking, and he said, I paid a surprise visit to the dormitory. That's what he says. And the, not of the high school boys. This is already the college level and so on. He says. And most of the beds were made, he says. Most of the beds were made. He said, there was one bed that it was not made. It was a mess. It was a mess. And he said, I don't know whose bed it was. He says, I don't know whose bed it was. But one thing I can tell you, this uh, Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar, did not sleep there. This is what he said in public. Okay. No. Cannot sleep there. Right. The, the occupant of this bed is not a Talmud Chacham. He's, he's probably the lowest of the boys from the yeshiva because the Talmud Chacham would not sleep in that bed. Okay. When he left, I mean, the whole yeshiva was, was, it was laughing. Why? Because every... Excuse me? No, no, no. no, no. Okay, all right. That, that would have been good, but okay. Some of you are ahead of me already, which is good. So we all laughed because everybody knew who slept in that bed. It was well known. Here's yeshiva where they're very insistent upon it. You must make your bed. And the Rosh Yeshiva is of the opinion that if you don't make your bed, it's a sign that your whole mind is, you're just not a Talmud. You're just not, you're not part of the, uh, of the program, so to speak. 
And we all knew whose bed it was. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the name of the person who had the bed. But I can tell you that today, this man is from the, one of the most prominent Russia yeshiva, of one of the most prominent yeshivas. I'm not even going to say where, whether it's Israel or America. I don't want to give anything more away than that. He was always a good boy. But it was always known that his mind was, he wasn't interested in these things. Today he's with a long white beard, and I see him quoted in And he probably still doesn't make his bed. Well, you know, that's going to depend on the wife. That's going to depend on the wife. That never worked yeah. in my house. Okay, yes. yes. I'm sorry, what? Minka starts at 8.05. Okay. There's a couple of last minute announcements. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll bear that in mind. Fine. So, the point being, my chinuch was you make your bed from age 13 when I went away to yeshiva, and you made your bed literally every day. So, it's a habit that I have. So, perhaps not everybody has that same training, that same background, that same frame of reference, and so on. But I believe. The fact that the Gemara uses this as symbolic of what it means, the tova of Shabbos, according to the two rabbis, one says mito noya, a nice bed, and the other one says mito mutsas, a spread out bed, clearly in the time of the Gemara and in the eyes of Yirmiyo Hanavi, that was the way you enter Shabbos with the bed made. It's not enough just to close the door and nobody sees it. This leads to another topic, perhaps it's not for now, but what, what, is, what should one do Shabbos morning? A lot of people say, you're not allowed to make the bed Shabbos morning. You'll hear people tell you that. Because it's a tircha, that's enot shricha, it's really not necessary. Again, you can close the door, even if you're having company over, nobody has to know what's going on behind that closed door, or if need be locked door, and so on, no one has to know. Nevertheless, um, again, this is a personal opinion, that's what the Gemara means. Mita Mutsas means even on Shabbos itself. Now, clearly I'm not advocating Tirachi Yaser, which means hard work that went a time. And yes, you can make a bed and you can go to extremes, you know, with the hospital corners and everything has to be, and you can, the proverbial, you can bounce the dime on Shabbos, but to bounce the proverbial dime on the bed that's so taut and so on. Clearly, that would not be right on Shabbos. But just to take the covers and just to spread it out so that it's just not in a state of array, disarray certainly would be in keeping with what the Shabbos, with what Yermiyahu viewed the Shabbos, yes. I was say, in the art scroll bench that many of us use, the brown cover, it says before Shalom Aleichem, one of the things to do before Shabbos is to, is to, to make your bed. And, and the, the deeper meaning is that people's beds usually were next to the stove in the room where you ate. So it was embarrassing to be eating in a room where your bed was not made. Okay, but I'm, taking, but I'm going a step further, that even if nobody else is going to see it, and even if you're not married, it's just you, you have an apartment, one person, what's in anybody's business? Nobody comes there, I'm going out to eat, nobody has to see, no, for yourself. And more important, for Hashem. This is part of your hachanas for Shabbos, just like you bathe for Shabbos. That's why you want your shoes to be shined. You want look nice for Shabbos. So why should your bed be any different? And to prove it, listen to the words of the Zohar. The Zohar says, what does it say in the in the Bosik? V'shemru b'nei Yisrael ha-Shabbos. La'asosas ha-Shabbos, what's the next word? L'do rosom. So if you look in the Chumash, 
Lodoro sum is written Mechosar, which means that there's no Vav over the O sound. Lodoro sum. There's just a dot. The Zohar says you can also read the word Ladira sum. Ladira sum for their Dira. Lasos es hashabos ledira sum. You have to make Shabbos for your Dira. Your Dira has to keep Shabbos. And the way to keep Shabbos, among other things, is to make your bed. Stop here.